0: As you see, I'm going to talk to you this morning about the vanity of life, and our beginning text is in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to read a few texts from there and some other places. Ecclesiastes is probably my favorite book of the Bible, besides the book of Job. Those two run run neck and neck with each other, and that just shows you how weird I am, but uh, I've loved this book since I was a boy, really, and... uh, Maybe I understand it, maybe I don't. In fact, some of the things the book of Ecclesiastes I don't like to understand. I wish I didn't understand them, as it were. Maybe the same thing is true of the book of Job, but it is is a book that, strangely enough, has a lot to say about the time that we live in today. And not only that as far as the general culture is concerned, which I'm planning some more sermons in the near future on a Christian worldview and the general culture that we live in, but... In any event, I, I read something this past uh, month or so uh, from a fellow named Meek, a, a, a Christian theologian, you might say, named Meek, Robert Meek. I think his name is Robert. I'll have to look at that up. But in any event, um, on the book of Ecclesiastes, and as far as using it as an apologetic to people to explain the Bible to people today in today's world. And and to him, it made a lot of sense. And after reading what he wrote about it, I I do say that I I was impressed by that, and it is a good thought. In fact, I ordered his book. hasn't got here yet, but I did order his book. And uh, perhaps I can read that, talk about it some more. Maybe I'll find out. I don't agree with what the man says, but it was interesting to me to do that. But before we get into what this sermon's titled about the vanity of life, I want to just, let's just go and read the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, if you will, uh, an Old Testament book, and purportedly written by Solomon, the king in Jerusalem. Most people think that probably was written either after Solomon's lifetime or late in his life, perhaps, we, we just don't know. Some people say it came at a later time altogether, and it's just kind of purporting to be what Solomon wrote. I, I'm just going to go by what? The scriptures say in verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Well, that can only be one person, Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? What good is the life the humans live? What good does it end up doing? And I can tell you... Um, I feel this, and and we'll have to look at more about that in just a moment. But he goes on, he gives this picture then, beginning in verse 4. I haven't got divided up on the screen properly, but verse 4, he gives a picture. Not only of the monotony of life, but the repetition of life in that sense, and it just seems like there's no point to it. Which raises a cultural question, because... The woke theology of today and Marxism, there's no real end in history. History is a big circle, and when you come especially to the element of our society and our culture now that believes in Hinduism and and so forth, there is no history. In fact, it's called the circle of life. Is that not the popular view of history, the circle of life? Not only your life, but of all of the world? The Bible isn't like that at all. The Bible says history is a line and has an ending point and has a highlight, the resurrection, and has an ending point in the second coming. This is the Bible view of history. That's the worldview that every Christian must have. But that's not how the world views it at all. But this, Finn says, if you just look at things going on around you, it seemed to this wise man, Solomon, that life was just a circle. One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and sun goes down, Hastens to the place where it erodes. The wind goes toward the south, turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes on again in its circuit. It's just one big swirling of winds and you can see the weather map every day and every, every year it all looks the same. Eventually you got the fronts and the stalled fronts and the moving fronts and the cold fronts and, and, and they're going this, and the rivers all run to the sea. Yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, they return again. It begins to rain back up on the mountains and pretty soon the water starts coming back down to the sea, goes into the sea and goes back up into the air, back onto the mountains again. This is what we see. Uh, he says, all things are full of labor. Now he goes on from speaking of physical things to more metaphysical things, more, more esoteric things. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. Is there a time we say, well, you know, I've seen enough, enough enough things in my life. I just don't want to see any more yeah, Not really. I don't want to hear anything else. I saw something last night. Who were they quoting? Some some maybe it was Jeremiah Johnson in that movie from years ago. The the wild man asks, "Well, you need to go to town." He says, "I've seen a town before." In other words, I've seen one. That's all I want to see. Whatever I saw was all. That's all. There's nothing else to see there. Really. Now that which has been is what will be that which is done is what will be done i hear I remember all the family stories I've told plenty of them here. I heard from my about my great grandparents what they did. I heard what my grandparents' experiences were and they're the same. My grandfather didn't like modern things born in the eighteen hundreds, sitting there telling me all these stories about how. You modern boys, you know, you believe everything you see here and there and you get all gussied up. He'd say and go out and fool around with these girls and all that. Then he, without knowing, tells me the story about how one time when he was a young man, he was able to find the money and he bought himself a buggy, had a nice horse. He said, I got all dressed up and went over to see my girl and all this stuff. I said, Pop, how is that any different than me washing the car and going on a date on Saturday night? How is that different? You just had a horse and buggy, and I have a car. Well, I borrowed my dad's car, but but he didn't see. He thought it was different somehow. It's not different. With that which has been is what will be. That which is done, what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything which it may be said? See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. You know, so we think we're doing some great thing by scrolling through scrolling through our pages on Facebook. Well, you know, the ancient Egyptians used scrolls too. And so did the ancient Hebrews. They, they scrolled this way. We scroll this way. Same thing, okay? But there's nothing new. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. So what he's saying here, and one of the things he's saying, I think, is that life seems to have no real purpose. Your existence is just one existence of billions that doesn't have any purpose to it. There's nothing here. And it doesn't seem to have any meaning. And so many people struggle with this. And I I, I understand the struggles as much as I reject the solution to the struggles that young people often put forward. Having been young once myself, I reject their solutions. But I understand the frustration that life is difficult meaningless sometimes makes no sense just doesn't make any sense and I admit to you that when I was a young man and even now in my old age I look at life and it doesn't some make a lot of sense now I say that and hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to that but I can tell you that it doesn't make sense are things fair are things just do they do they go anywhere, or are we right back in the same run? You know, if you study much history, and especially if you study any of the cycles of history, you will see that right now in our society, we are either right before the Civil War or right before the First World War in the way things are in society. The same generations run. Historians will tell you that every five generations, everything kind of repeats itself. And the way that one generation reacts is very similar. We think it's all brand new. This is a new problem. No, it's not. We're just ignorant about it. Because, is that what he says? There's no remembrance of former things here. And when one generation goes away, everybody else forgets whatever happened. They think theirs is the first generation that ever experienced something. It's all very similar before. There are new factors thrown into the stew. But is there a solution? Doesn't seem to be a solution. This word vanity though is interesting. And this is the point this fellow made that I thought was so was something I didn't know before, and I want you to think about this a lot. I don't think I know the answer to it. The word vanity or is and some versions say life is meaningless, not vanity, vanities, meaninglessness of meaninglessness. That's what it's saying here. All is meaningless. It's Hebel, Habel. Emptiness or vanity, figuratively something transitory or unsatisfactory, often used as an adverb altogether vain. In other words, it's there, but in the end, you see it doesn't make any difference and doesn't mean anything, doesn't do any good. And so it's translated in the authorized King James Version, for those of you who use that, the A-V, vanity, vain, altogether, vapor, breath, and so forth. Vainly, you see this. And so, what it really means, though, ironically enough, it's, well, what it is, is the name of the second man ever born. Abel. The first man born was Cain. Eve said, in relation, I think, to the promise of God that I'm going to send your seed to destroy Satan, she named him to get. I've gotten, I've received from the Lord the man that's going to save us. God's given me the man. Cain. How'd that work out for you? As they say. How did it work out that Cain was going to be the savior of mankind? She thought it she thought it was him. Cain wasn't. And so the first man ever born turned out to be a scurrilous murderer, a deceiver, man full of hate and revenge and bitterness and jealousy. And he killed his brother openly before God in the field. And it's weird. But before that, before this murder happened, when the second son was born, I think Eve already knew that Cain wasn't the man. And so when Abel was born, she named him Pointless. (laughs) What's this? Pointless. Vain. Hebel. And that's what the word means. It's the same word his name is that's used in Ecclesiastes for vanity. Did you know that? I didn't know that before. I should have known that, but I didn't know that. And that just really rang with me. And I think it rang with the fellow who wrote this article. I, I think that means something. I think it's significant what his name means. Because from the beginning of human history, it's it seemed like to human beings that there wasn't much of a point to all of this. Now we do we know that Abel well, here's what it is. Here's the story without going back through all of it. <coughs> there's these two brothers and God tells them both what to do and how to worship and how to honor Him. One of them decides he's going to do what God says. He follows the will of the Lord, offers up a pleasing sacrifice to God. One of them says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. I like to grow vegetables and I'm going to bring these to the Lord. I'm going to do what I want to do. And and that one kills the other one. And so... When If you think that somehow, if you do what's right, if you just do what's right, everything will be good for you. God will bless you and all things will turn out nice. If you just go to church and do nice things, things will all be nice. And we hear this message preached all the time. Is that the way the world works? Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't work that way. hasn't worked that way from day one. The guy that did what God wanted, his life was cut short. He was dead in the field. The guy that disobeyed God rebelled against God, he gets to live, God protects him and says, don't anybody kill him, he lives a long and prosperous life. Has so, so many descendants, they overrun the earth almost. How does that sound? Does that sound right to you? Is that what you expect from God? The one, who, the one who does good is killed and dies young and nothing happens. And the one who disobeys God, God protects him and he has a long, prosperous life. Lives 900 years or something like that. You see, from the very beginning, life on earth hasn't made a lot of sense. It doesn't turn out at all the way you think it should. This is the problem that so many unbelievers have with the Bible. This is the big problem. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, he wasn't the first by any means, wrote a book, The Problem of Pain, which is basically, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Why doesn't it turn out the way we want You do your best as a parent and your children rebel against you and God. You try to do your best at work and you get fired and the other guy gets promoted who is a lying cheat. This has never happened to anybody. You're just going to work, minding your own business, take care of your family and you get mugged and left in a ditch for dead. And the criminal never gets punished. Young girls get raped and abused all the time and they go the rest of their life and nothing ever happens to people that do that to them. In fact, in some churches they get protected. Is this the way things should be? Is any wonder that unbelievers come away saying, there's no God, he's not protecting anything, he's not doing anything. If there was a God, it wouldn't be like this. Or they just become angry and embittered, cynical about life. And I think that's where a lot of our young people, well, they've always been there. I was a lot like that when I was young. A lot of our young people don't see the point of doing all this. Now, if they go to college and do what they're supposed to do, get an education and go to college and learn something, they come away indebted and can't get a job anyway. They end up, the, the, the main thing they learn is to say, would you like fries with that? If they're lucky. So, does life see, and they're told, they're told by modern culture, by the leftists, don't have children, Everybody wants to be something in the world, leave a mark and do something good. And and they want to have children to love. And if you've ever had one, you realize what that does to you, completely changes you. I remember uh, I was there when Judy had our first child and with all of them. I always remind her I saw our children before she did. Anyway, I remember here she was, 18 years old. I don't know if she was 19 when Matthew was born, maybe just turned 19. And she just had the child and they, they kind of get everything clean. We were out in the hall waiting to go to the room. And I looked at this little girl, I call her a little girl, so whatever my, that's what my grandfather called her, little girl. And, and I, I think I may have even said something along this line to her. Now you're a woman. I, she just looked different to me. Everything about her was different. Everything about her was different <clears throat> Her laying there with this baby. And it's always been that way. This is something very fundamental to the human heart, to the human condition. Fatherhood, motherhood, passing, passing yourself along and, and do, seeing, feeling solid in humanity. And the young people are told today, don't do this. Don't do it. It's bad for the environment. Mother Earth is going to hate you for it. Don't work too hard. You're a dirty capitalist. You're just polluting the world. Don't do anything because it's going to create pollution and carbon. Uh, live in a small wood hut somewhere if you can. Don't cut down too many trees to build a wood hut. Whatever you do, but live in that little wood hut and don't do anything that's going to cause Mother Earth to be rebelled. This is what young people are being told. There's nothing to do in life. Don't become a dirty capitalist and make money, for crying out loud. There's nothing for them to do. It's pointless. And so we we do see that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain because he had trust in God. And there's the faith. He needed faith because it didn't look obvious to him. You know, when they're doing their work out there in the field, was it obvious to Abel? That I'm doing the right thing by raising these animals the way God said and offering these sacrifices. Did it, was it obvious to Abel this is the right thing to do? Well, his brother's growing all the crops that are just as good and maybe easier to do. Didn't even look right then. But he, so he did it by faith because God told him to do it that way. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks. So we're going to speak about Cain, about Abel today. Because through this faith of doing what God says, in spite of what it looked like and in spite of the treatment that you receive, you do what God says. You know, Russell Meek, the guy, that's the guy's name, Russell. I couldn't think of it. God, he, he says this. God implored Cain to do the right thing instead of giving in to his jealousy and anger in Genesis 4. Cain allowed the sin crouching at the door to overcome him. Cain murdered Abel. And then Cain lived a hundred, lived a long life under the protection from God, in fact, had many descendants and founded a city. Cain received the blessings of obedience that would later be outlined in passages like Deuteronomy 7 and 30. Cain received all those blessings that were given to the obedient. Abel, on the other hand, suffered the consequences of disobedience. See Deuteronomy 28. His life was cut short, leaving him... Isn't what it says? If you do God and love your parents, your days will be long on the earth? How'd that work out for Abel? His life was cut short, leaving him with no children, no heritage, no material wealth. The correspondence between righteousness and blessing, wickedness and cursing, was reversed. So he says that Abel, Habel, vanity is his name, Hebel is the embodiment of a world turned upside down, a world marked by sin. And that upside downness, that broken relationship between actions and the consequences that all of us have experienced is what Ecclesiastes picks up on and examines with the word Hebel, again in Hebrew, Abel. So here's this, this upside down world that we live in. And I know this is one of my weird sermons, so just bear with me for a few minutes. My wife's going, yeah, this is one of your weird sermons, all right. But, but I want you to think about what, because you may not be experiencing this Apparently, from what I can see on Facebook, and what I've seen all my life, there's so many Christians that world just you know roses and and doilies and flowers and you know mean you know beautiful little sayings. The world's just beautiful, sunshine and roses and lollipops. And what's the song we have in the uh, in the book? Um, rainbows and clouds and rain. What is it in the book? I don't know. Blue skies, blue skies and rainbows. That's what that's what your life is like. Hmm. Anybody know about that life? Apparently that's what real Christians experience. But the rest of us don't get to live that. And even if we are blessed, and I'm blessed, all around me I see injustice wherever you look. People being mistreated poorly for what they really are. People that are good and kind and generous find themselves at the bottom of the heap. Those who are wicked and grasping are at the top. They even get more rewards on Twitter for being that way than those who are kind and even-handed. And and, strange enough, a lot of that's done by the good people. So the world is upside down. Always has been. Abusers don't get punished. They often get rewarded. This is what we see all around us. The wicked are the ones who make the money and are respected so many times. It's always been that way. That's the problem. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You know what Abraham asked Jehovah? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's a good question. Sometimes it doesn't look like he does when you just take a quick look at it. And in your experiences, maybe you feel that way. But this morning, I want you to think more deeply about that. I understand the feeling. I've been there, personally been there. And you see this expressed in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, which is why I like this book. Notice, for example, what he says in verse 1. I think this says 1, 12. Why am I thinking that's not the right reference? That looks like chapter 8. But somebody look that up for me. I, I think that's chapter. should say chapter 8 there. I don't have my hand here. Who, who can quickly look up Ecclesiastes 8, 11 for me? I believe, I believe this is chapter 8. not why it says 1. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set within them to do evil. Even in our society, someone brutally rapes and murders a woman, leaves her body in a trash can somewhere, and if we can catch him, and if we can convict him, which is unlikely, he won't receive a death penalty, which he deserves. But if he were to receive a death penalty, it wouldn't be executed for 25 or 30 years, if then. And then he'd be given, it's chapter 8, thank you Cornelius, it's chapter 8, I was right. This is wrong on the screen, so it's chapter 8 verse 12. In any event, he won't be executed for that long, and then they're going to cater to his every demand before they put him to death. Make sure it's all good and comfortable. And he has it whatever last meal he wants. Now he can have a preacher hold his hand while they do it. A whole thing. How's that? How do you think that makes these family members feel? You, you, even the ones that say, I forgive him. And I can understand forgiveness. But it doesn't seem right. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times. And his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it, but there's no evidence of it. It will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is an able, there is a vanity, which does occurs on the earth, that there are, now, now he backtracks a little bit, or he says, I know this, but let me tell you what I see. What I see is, there is this upside-downness, this vanity, which occurs on the earth, Solomon says in verse 14, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. And again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. And I said, this is also ebel. This is also meaningless vanity. So That's what that word means. Things are not like they should be. It's upside-down, and we can't fix it. And he says in chapter 9, verse 11, I returned and saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift. Should the race be to the swift? Yes. The, The battle's not to the strong, nor the bread to the wise. You become a wise and good man should you make money? You should, but you don't. Nor riches to men of understanding. The people sometimes get rich, do it. what's the word? Dumb luck. That's the scientific word for it. Dumb luck. But they do. Nor favor the men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For a man does not know his time, like a fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in evil time, and then it falls suddenly upon them. So, just like animals, I, I've caught so many fish in the ocean, and you know, reel that big, nice snapper up from the bottom, plop it up onto the deck of the boat, and the fish is looking at you, you know, with this big eye, flopping there, and I thought to myself, I wonder what this thing is thinking. A few minutes, just just a moment ago, he was down there swimming happily along with this friend Nemo, you know, and the turtles, and he's swimming along in there, and he sees something good to eat and takes a bite of it. Next thing you know, he's up in some what place he can't possibly understand, flipped on his sides, choking to death because he can't breathe. He's not going... Because he likes to do that, he's trying to get something, in the air. Because he's choking to death, not choking to death. What he's, whatever the word is, he can't breathe. He's being suffocated. He's been caught in an evil net in a time he didn't understand what was happening. And so it is with you. You're walking along in your life, and next thing you know, you get the report that you got cancer. Or like so many people, you're just walking along and you have a heart attack and you die within a few moments. You're you dead. And if, and if you don't have that experience, you, you live a long time and you still die. And it's not ever just as it were. I heard people pray when I was a young boy, uh, in the end Father, give us a peaceful time in which to die. Good prayer. How often does that happen to people? That they're at home They've just slowly gotten a little weaker, had a nice steak and lobster dinner, went to bed, laying there and their wife and their children holding their hand, and they just say, I think it's time to die and go to sleep. And No. There's no easy way to leave this world. I don't care how you want to do it, there's no easy way to leave this world. It's always like this. And he says, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. Chapter 7, verse 15. There's a just man who perishes in his righteousness and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. This is what Solomon saw 3,000 years ago. What do we see today? And so this man summarizes this Russell Meek. There is a bell that is done upon the earth that there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I said that is also vanity or abel. Sometimes the disobedient receive blessing while the obedient receive curses. Sometimes abuses are exalted and protected while children suffer. And sometimes justice entirely eludes us. We just can't even achieve justice. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Solomon said, I considered all this in my heart. Go toward the end of the book a little bit further on. So that I could declare it all. The righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. God is, still has his hand on the righteous. People neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good, the clean, the unclean, to him who is sacrificed, him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath is one who fears no. What is that? That's death. That's what's coming. Death. Hebrew says that human beings have lived all their existence in the fear of death, in bondage. I, should, I said that wrong. They are in bondage to the fear of death, whether they like to whistle past the graveyard or not. We have this new movement in society now called transhumanism. Uh, we used to call it being a bionic man back in the whatever year, decade that was, 70s and 80s. You know, Steve Austin, the bionic man. So we, we think we can uh, let somebody die or and chop their head off, put it in a vat, and then uh, you know keep them alive for a while. And then one day we're going to be able to recreate a body and hands and eyes and ears are going to make this bionic person. And people won't die. Not going to happen like that. Transhumanism, that is that we can go beyond being human and become eternal. And we're going to take all their memories and put them on a chip somewhere and store them. Put them back in some... Computer and they'll still be alive. I wonder who gets to decide who we're going to do that to. You think we're going to do that to John Wayne Gacy or uh, or, or Jeffrey Dahmer? Are we going to who are we going to do it to? Whose mind are you going to recreate? Who are you going to bring back? Because he got a lot of problems. with this. But there's no such thing as transhumanism. It, it all is going to happen that we're going to die. And so, but Paul expressed it this way. Paul, Paul's realistic about it. With a now, now the gospel. The gospel doesn't address this problem directly. The gospel doesn't say, now that Jesus is here, everything is going to go perfect. I'm going to get rid of all the bad people. I'm going to keep all the good people. I'm going to make sure everything is going to happen just like it's supposed to. Is that what Jesus did while he was on the earth? That's what people think should happen. They think if you got the Holy Spirit today, you can do that. You can just do enough miracles and everything will be right. Is that what happened? No. Jesus came and he defeated death. He defeated the problem. The problem from the beginning was Satan. It was the evil that was there in the world that was put into the heart of men by Satan by believing the lie. And this lie has now become our national anthem that we can do whatever we want. Nobody can tell us what to do. We, if we want to be a boy, we can be a boy or a girl or a dog or whatever we want to do. We can be whatever we want to be. No one can stop us because after all, we're humans. We're We're Americans. We, We have this power. This is the lie that Satan told Eve in the beginning, and it's worse now than it was then. And Jesus didn't straighten that out exactly. He defeated it, but that's coming. What we still have from the time of Jesus onward, we still have suffering. Paul, people look in the Bible, and they say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's a good question, because when I look in the Bible, the best people I can find, for the most part, are people that suffered. The best people in the Bible are the people sometimes that suffer the most. So if you're suffering, take heart in that. It doesn't mean that you're bad because you're suffering. I consider the suffering just present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, Paul says, as us Christians. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. At some point in time, the sons of God are truly going to be revealed for what they are. is isn't happening now. We don't see it now. Don't expect to see it in your life on this earth. But the sons of God shall be revealed another day. For the creation was subjected to futility. There's the word vanity again in the New Testament. It was subjected to this meaninglessness. God intended it this way because of sin for it to be the way it is. Don't be surprised by that. Not willingly. We didn't want it that way. But because of him who subjected it in hope. God did it this way in hope. He wants us to see the evil and the futility so we can love him for who he is. Because the creation itself, he says, will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together till now. It isn't surprising this whole creation that god made all the humans and everything else groans because it's not like it should be this has been expressed many ways but i'm expressing it today under the idea of vanity or habel for we know that the whole creation groans not only that but we also have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for the adoption the redemption of our body and so christians at living right Doing what's right, they they suffer the same illnesses, the same diseases, the same disappointments, the same heartaches, the same worries and doubts and fears come across come to Christians as do other people. Oh, there are differences, but you can't expect to escape these things it, it, just because you're a Christian. And so he says, we end up groaning in ourselves. What we want is for it to be different than it is now. So all these people I've known, my relatives, others I've known who lived a long life. By the time they get to the end of their life, my great-uncle Robert lived to be 97 years old or 98, something like that. I can't remember. Something along that line. Way up in his 90s. I spoke to him not long before he died. And you know what he was talking about to me? His little children that died 70 years before. He still talked about the little babies his wife had. They had seven children; only two lived to adulthood, and the one lived was crippled and died young. He still talked about those little babies like they were right there with him, and his wife had been dead for forty years. They loved, took care of her till she died. You think you think he was groaning to be delivered from that bondage? I've known a lot of old people like that. Because that's the nature of being a human being. And if we have this utopian dream that if we just elect the right people that promise the right things and pay enough taxes from the rich that we can fix that. And if there's, a, there's just a better class of people out there that we could elect these people to do what they want and all this will go away. There won't be any injustice in, in our criminal system. Do we really think that? God said the whole creation has been subjected to this kind of vanity. And in the end, even the Christians groan among themselves, groan in themselves, saying, It's got to be different. And so, as another passage I don't have here says, they look for a better country. That is a heavenly country, where this will not be the case. I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I know it won't I know it'll be better than this. Infinitely better in a different way. He says. Most assuredly I say to you that we will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Jesus says this in John 20. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. I'm going away from you, but it's not going to always be that way. A woman when she is in labor... Can I even bring this up in today's culture? A woman having a baby? Uh, Anyway, I don't know if I can even talk about this, but I'm going to anyway. A woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child... She no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world, believe it or not. Not a fetus, but a human being. So she suffers during this time, but now all the sorrow is removed because of the child. Therefore, Jesus says, you now have sorrow as a woman giving birth, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and and this joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. All these questions you have now about the dandy of life the unfairness of it all and and how it's upside down there's a day coming when Jesus says you won't ask me anything because you'll know now that is the faith that the christian needs to have that, that's the only answer that i know about this now listen i know our time is gone let me just do two more things because i don't want to do another lesson on this not for a, not for at least a week uh, Rejoice, O oh young man. Now listen, there's two, two things he says here at the end of this book. Go all the way to the end of, book of the book. There's two groups of people he addresses. One's the young man, one's the old man. Rejoice, O oh young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. This is the, those, those are the days I had the most trouble to, to some degree. When I was young and a teenager. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. For your childhood and youth are vanity. They're pointless anyway. (laughs) In other words, you're going to live a certain way when you're young and maybe it'll make a difference. Maybe it won't. But he says, you need to live with joy. Things won't turn out well sometimes. Live with joy. Remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh. Don't do what's wrong. And when you do that, then you'll see it's vanity. It's going to go away. Youth is fleeting. It goes away. But that's not the end of the world. And then he says at the end of the book in chapter 12, he talks this whole chapter here about getting old. Chapter 12 is a whole chapter on what it's like to get old. Finally makes sense to me. But he says in verse 6, Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosened." This is an expression for dying, being untethered by a silver cord from life. The golden bowl is broken, the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. These are pictures of dying. Then the dust will return to the dust as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is pointless. In the end, it's going to appear to be pointless that you've lived a long life. You know, all these things, you have so many things that you wish you could have done that you'd like to redo to do better. You're still trying to finish things that ought to be done and you can't, you're dead. You're going to die and you see this coming, but you can't stop it. It's pointless. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter though. The next verse, fear God and keep his commandments. You old young men fear God, and keep his commandments For this is man's all or the whole duty of man or the whole of man. This is all there is. If you expect to find meaning in building a great building in life and being a great architect or a builder or a philanthropist or whatever it is, you'll find out that that's meaningless. The only thing that matters is fearing God and keeping His commandments. For God will bring every work into judgment. I love that. All this stuff that you see, the injustice, the suffering inflicted from one human being to another, the unfairness that our rulers inflict upon the the innocent. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. All those secret things that get hidden by government panels and the CIA, all the way down to the things that you do that are in secret that can never be uncovered. You know, there are just some people that ought to be in jail. And the fact that we can't put them in jail, and I should name names, but I won't, they should be in jail. If our law, if our laws mean anything, they should be in jail. Instead, they pull over old ladies and give them a ticket and run them to jail. So many times. But God's going to bring everything into judgment someday, and we can rest. Christians can rest assured in that that the Judge of all the earth will do right. Thank you for listening to this tirade today. I appreciate it very much. Um, I don't want to burden you anymore. It's been way too long. But I I do think that this is a a valuable insight into how to have faith as a young person. Yes, it looks meaningless, but it's not meaningless. Your life looks like it's just transitory and, and won't amount to anything, but it does. And it will if you trust the Lord. There's injustice. You can fix some of it, but you'll never be able to fix all of it. Throughout the utopian dreams can't happen because the earth has been subjected to vanity or pointlessness. So do what you can, but understand the limit. This is the Christian view of the world. And all of you need to understand that there's a kind coming when God will judge men by the things that they do, have done in the body, whether good or evil. Which side of that judgment are you going to be on? Have you done what God says? Have you obeyed him? Have you come in faith and repenting of your sins turned the other way? If so, God can bless you. And if you haven't, it's time to do that. Today's the day. Come and be blessed this morning. We can hear your confession and belief in Christ. We can we can baptize you into Christ this very hour and you can become a Christian and walk that life of meaning. Can we help you today? You come right to the front right now. Let's stand the sing.